and it will be much easier in this digital virtual world for people to move to systems that are comfortable and move away from systems that aren't comfortable. And for some people that may be a highly interactive human environment with very little technology. And for other people, given the number of people that have moved to Uber and drive for Uber, clearly there's a sense that a number of people have said, this is a better way for me to manage my life, and I don't need a boss. Hi, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. Our topic in today's show is My New Boss is a Robot. And I became really intrigued by this idea when talking to my guest today, Dan O'Hara from Avenard, and he was telling me about his time spent driving for Uber. Now, in my mind... If you were working for a robot, it would be a human being, but essentially a machine. But actually, the reality of this is a lot more subtle. It's about software, applications and other services that can direct and, in some ways, govern your working life. With Dan, we touch on subjects like Pokemon Go, games in work, and whether we, as human beings, prefer machine contact to human contact. Is this a good thing for us, a bad thing for us? You make your own judgments. Dan is the Senior Vice President for Digital Workplace at Avenard, and he runs their 3,000-person Digital Workplace Market Unit. Now for Dan O'Hara. So I'm delighted to have you on the show today, Dan. Thank you very much, Paul. I'm uh, glad to be here, and I think it's a great topic to discuss. So I've got to start by asking you to explain to me Pokemon Go and augmented reality and viral growth. What what what's the connection there? Well, I thought it was very interesting when Pokemon Go came out and how quickly its stats started to eclipse you know things that we had thought of as a long time as the social networks and things like that. My children had played Pokemon Go when when they were younger, so I was familiar with the game and I said, "Well, I need to try this." And just getting into seeing how quick they were evolving that game, seeing how quickly the market share and active users and things like that were going up and really challenging things of like Twitter that had been around for years and we considered, you know, this incredible powerful user network and Pokemon Go within a few weeks was up to very similar numbers. So it's it's a fun game. I was familiar with the concept and I'm amazed that when I first played it I would find a Pokestop in a in a parking area and there would be a 12-year-old kid come up to it and then his mom was playing it and a couple of teenagers came around. So the number of people that you could easily rec- recognize as Pokemon Go players in the, especially the early days, it was interesting to see how one little game had really changed how so many of us were interacting with our environment, we're outside, and we're doing both virtual things and real things simultaneously. Right. And, and can I ask, I mean, you know, were you into games when you were younger and did you just not lose that kind of fascination with what games, in a way, sort of bring to us in life? 
I think I've been a casual gamer for a long time, so I would try out Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid, but I didn't, you know, spend lots and lots of time with it. Uh, we had a Atari when I was uh, a teenager and got to play some of the early video games on that, but it's always been casual, let's try it out. So the Kinect came out, let's try it out, but nothing where that's how I spend my uh, nights and weekends. Great. Well, well, the question that I normally like to start with, but I was just drawn to the Pokemon Go one and had to start by asking you that, Dan, is um, the question I like to start with is, is what did you expect when you came into the world of work? So, so what did you think work was going to be like? When I came into the world from a professional perspective, I'd worked in restaurants and other things to get through college, but from a professional perspective, I expected to be working on teams, so how do I work with others? I was expecting to get a lot of training, so how do I get trained to do my next job and understand all that stuff? And I was expecting that I would be learning a lot in terms of industries and, and other things that you know, college gave me a good preparation in science and computer science and things of that nature, but in terms of actually working with people to solve problems, it, when I went to school we had probably two or three group projects and all the rest of it was study for exams. So I was really looking forward to a, what is it like to be in a project, collaborative, et cetera, environment versus you know a student type of environment. And, and did you expect work to be something that you would enjoy, that you'd get fulfillment from, or was it, was it expected to be something you have to do in order to make a living? It's interesting. I think um, I expected some of both, right? I've, I've always had the philosophy you get paid for work for a reason, and you need to expect that there are going to be some good things and some bad things about work, and that's part of the, the trade-off you have of I get to go to a, visit a great client and have a great discussion, but at the same time something breaks that you have to fix and you'd rather be going home on a Friday, but it needs to get done. So you know, there's, I think it's a trade-off, and, and work is called work for a reason, and fun is called fun for a reason. Right, right. And, you know, you and I have got to know each other um, a bit over the last um, couple of years, and, and it strikes me, and, and from the conversations we've had in your role at Avenard, that you're, you're not a kind of typical person in the sort of role that you have. And, and I think the Pokemon Go thing kind of sort of gets into that. I think the thing that struck me when you and I started talking was that we weren't really talking so much about the kind of business side of running consulting companies and so on, but more about kind of what this means and what these changes represent in our, in our industry. So can I just ask, can you explain to me what, how do you see your work at Avenard and what, what do you see your role as, as being? So at Avenard, we really see a lot of businesses going through a digital transformation. How do they use digital in new ways? How do they especially apply data and analytics to, to problems? And my job, more specifically with digital workplaces, how does the employee come along, right? So it's great to have a, a new website or mobile app or all of those things that we traditionally think about as digital, 
but what is the employee experience? How are they interacting with the customers differently? How are they doing their jobs in accounting differently? So my part of digital workplace is really looking at the employee side of the digital transformation, what tools they need, what training. Um, a lot of the tools we're getting into, such as social networks, are voluntary, right? I, I have to do these tasks, but being part of the social network and responding to a question, those tend to be much more voluntary tasks that a, a user has a choice, an employee has a choice. So looking at the aspects of their tasks, but also looking at how they communicate, collaborate, integrate. So a lot of the employee aspects of digital transformation um, and myself and my team really work through bringing the employee along so they're part of that transformation. They have the tools, they have the enablement, they have the training, they have uh, everything they need to be an active part in those transformations. And, and, and the subject that we're getting in today, which is, if you like, our relationship with with robots and, and AI and, and, and so on, is is a really current and, and fascinating subject. And, and and the question I've got to start with as we start to dig into this this subject of the relationship that we as human beings are going to have th- with robotics going f- forward is is what on earth made you decide to become an Uber driver? I had been, like many consultants, talking about the Uberization of things, how you know we're dealing with a gig economy and all those aspects. And we were doing some research on, would you work for a smart boss? So lots of people responded, yes, no, maybe, you know, depending on what my last boss is. But I actually wanted to get the experience of what would it be like to work for a robo-boss. And the closest and easiest experience I could have was actually signing up for Uber. I had been a passenger in Uber for several years, so I knew the concept of how it worked. And we all talk about it as a passenger, but I wanted to have the driver experience of what it is like to be directed, what it is like to have it as a part-time job that I can, you know, I primarily did it on Sundays because I have a full-time job. Um, So how did that fit into my schedule? How was I managed? How was I hired? All of those things were interesting questions to really get into the topic of what would it be like to work for a robo-boss? And quite frankly, I learned a ton in that experience with Uber on the different things I liked and didn't like and, and was very impressed with with the experience. Right. Well, well, we'll certainly get into that. I'm still trying to get my head around. If, if I thought to myself, I want to work out how what it's like to be working for a robo-boss... I wouldn't immediately think, well, I'm going to go and work for Uber. I might be thinking, well, I'll probably get a job in a kind of manufacturing area or something, place where I sort of expect to see robots. What what was kind of going through your head when you somehow saw Uber and, and this robo-boss kind of concept together? In talking to the Uber drivers, I asked a number of questions about, well, how do you get instructions? How do you decide when you're going to work and not work? And one of the important things we're seeing in all industries, not just as Uber, is this concept of career advisors, not managers, mentors. So there's a lot coming into our environments, which are really getting into the concept of you manage your own career. You decide 
when you're going to work, where you're going to work, how you're going to work. You and I have met in several strange locations because that's where we decided our workplace worked the best. And I think that aspects of the person having the decision but the system still giving them direction, reward, um, all those aspects that you would normally think of a boss doing um, was a important things that said this this is probably pretty close and quite frankly Uber made it extremely easy. One of the things I learned is to work for Uber it takes about six hours to get connected into Uber and get hired and be trained and be able to go out driving which was a extremely simple solution uh, to that part of dealing with a boss. Sure and, and so I'm just also just as a kind of Uber passenger myself and and like you been intrigued by the whole experience what sort of ratings were people giving you after you got out of the car was this was this giving you good ratings as a passenger or or not so good I think my passenger ratings are pretty good. Um, you know, you have to feel out your Uber driver just as the Uber driver has to feel out the passengers. Some of them are really paying attention to GPS and maybe going someplace that they haven't gone before. And you probably let some of those uh, let them go on their way and, and do their job. And others were very interested in talking. You know, I'm trying to put my daughter through college and this extra weekend money really helps. So I got a lot of interesting stories of from the Uber drivers of how they were managing their lives and how Uber was, was fitting into it and, and how they felt about it. So so what did you learn from your experience? I mean, you, you know, you, I don't think of Uber as being a robotic service. But what what was your experience? Did you feel like you were being managed by a robot? And, and is there no contact with human beings, or how does that work? First, defining a robot. A robot, in my mind, could be a, a system, artificial intelligence. You know, Uber doesn't show up as a robot in your car. Uber, as a driver, shows up as your phone, giving you instructions on where to go, telling you how to drive there, where to pick up the passenger, and how you're rated. So I spent about two months with this experience, just a couple of weekends, really getting hired by Uber, which was a six-hour process, including training, before I was ready to go. I never talked to a human in the entire time I worked for Uber I never talked to anybody at Uber. I talked to plenty of passengers at Uber, but everything came through either the website when I did my initial sign-up or through my phone when I decided, okay, when's a good time to go? And Uber would send me a text and go, there's a festival downtown this weekend. They'll need a lot more drivers. And Uber would say, there's a surge over in this area. We need more drivers. And all of those things I could see were being generated by the system. I'm sure there's a person behind the scenes that occasionally goes, oh, you know, the, the baseball game's going to be a little bigger this week because of you know who they're playing. But the system, I'm sure, is getting smarter on that to go, these are the big events that we had last year. They're probably the big events we'll have this year and need more driver. So I spent the entire experience with Uber without ever talking, emailing, phoning anybody at Uber. All of my interactions were through the app. So what was your 
experience of this? Did you did you like this? I loved the passenger interaction. So there is still part of talking to humans and being part of it. I'm I did well. I was five star rated when I decided that was enough of my experience. And it comes as no surprise to me that you got a five star rating. <laughs> so I was uh, pretty proud of that uh, fact. I actually. Uh, as my second fare, when I was actually a little bit nervous trying to figure out the system, was somebody from my company that I didn't know. And <laughs> through the entire process, I didn't tell them I actually also work for the company. I asked them some nice questions about it because I was actually scared that if they had some reason to think that's weird, I would upset my Uber rating. So, <laughs> you know, and, and you do have to judge passengers on some of them want to stare into their phone and not, uh, you know, deal with you. And others have 20 questions about, you know, what it's like to be in Atlanta and what restaurants you like. So, you know, there's a judgment call. But I thought it was a very good experience. And quite frankly, I never missed having a human tell me what to do, when to work, what to do next, uh, et cetera, all of that so stuff. So that's the interesting easy. part, isn't it? Because, I mean, when you, uh, when I learned that you'd had, I think, three months of, of work with Uber and had no connection, no contact with a human being other than the passengers who were coming in the cars, who were not your, if you like, your your bosses, they're not Uber, they're Uber passengers, I was pretty kind of stunned by that. But you're basically saying that experience, it wasn't that you felt like you were missing something. No, I really wasn't. Um, they Uber does have some vehicles, some communication channels, so you could go into an office in a big city and get some advice, or you know they have some driver meetups to, to build a community, but none of those are mandatory, and I really didn't know a lot of Uber drivers in my questioning that had used them. They, you know, I downloaded the app. I started working. I determined my schedule. I figured out that I prefer to drive in, you know, busy times rather than slow times. I prefer to be done by 10 o'clock to not deal with the party crowd. So all of those were personal decisions, and the Uber system is big enough that hopefully everybody who wants a ride gets a ride, but it's really the system that's determining all that and continually learning about, you know, where people want to go and what are busy events, etc., so I suppose it kind of raises the question is is if there was a human being involved in this process rather than essentially software because it's you know we talk about robotics but we're really talking about software applications that that are are doing these 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 activities what is it that you know is a human being are we, are we a little bit too caught up with the idea that human beings have got some magic elixir that we all crave in work and that actually software's just or just as good or, or maybe better at it? Well, I think there's aspects that we still want a human involved with. So I have a mentor or a couple of mentors that I go to for advice on career. Now, those mentors actually aren't my boss. There's a number of people that I would go to for advice on different topics. And, and one that I'll bring up, so a number of us are going to be dealing with taking care of aging parents and work-life balance taking care of aging parents. Um, my boss may not be the best one to assist with how do I do that. 
So having the ability to get tasks and assignments and ratings and customer satisfaction are things that a system can probably do more and more of those tasks. Having someone to advise you on how to balance your life when dealing with an aging parent situation and having somebody in your boss or chain of command that understands you're dealing with this and that you may need a little extra care, you may need a little extra time for deliverables, you know, you've been a good employee for five years, I'm going to cut you some slack for the next six months because I know you've got some personal issues that may be a priority. So a robo-boss in its initial forms may not have the sensitivity to deal with special situations, but it probably has a better understanding of this is the training you need based on where you are in your career. This is the how you did on customer satisfaction. A lot of those type of things, it may be the system or the agent or the robo-boss that sees a broad enough set of employees that they can give you better feedback than a boss that's managing four or five or six employees. But there are special situations, I believe, where you need human intervention to go, oh, well, that's that's a situation that I need to better understand your work-life balance or troubles you're having with the job so I can give you recommendations. So I think there's still humans in the system. They be, may not be the ones that are doing as much of the hiring, as much as the task direction, as much of even the rewarding of uh, people. Yeah, and, and I have a, 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 you know, a one, one confession and one, one kind of thought. One the 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 thought is that you know if you're dealing with um uh, banking you know a few years ago we were calling call centers and increasingly now what most people are doing is just using online banking and mobile apps and i think a lot of experience i don't know if it's just me but i prefer to do it using the technology because I don't have to interact with another human being, and I, I like people. I'm, I'm, I'm. I think fairly extroverted, but you know, if I've got a choice between dealing with the app or ge- dealing with the the online system and a human being, I'll I'll go for the app. And is that is that a kind of healthy thing? And a, another kind of example, I quite often use Heathrow Airport Terminal Five. And there you've got a choice. You can park and then, you know, basically get a bus driven by somebody into the airport or you can get in a pod, an automated vehicle. And and I prefer the pods. So, I mean, maybe I'm just kind of kind of losing the ability to interact with other human beings. I don't know. Or, or is that just part of a trend that's that's happening? I think we are continuing to see a, a self-service uh, aspects. You know, one of the things that intrigues me about Uber is they're actually doing um, pilots of driverless cars in Pittsburgh right now. So they've taken the model to work anytime you want and are starting to, can I replace that driver and just then have the system position the cars correctly based on traffic patterns and all the rest of that so that they can actually get more efficiency out of it than having a human involved with, well, I'm going to get up 15 minutes later, so I'm not going to be there. They can direct the autonomous version of of Uber to, yeah, I, I think the best places for these cars to be positioned are here, here, and here, so they're most likely to pick up 
the passenger with the least amount of energy and all the rest of those aspects of it. So we are going to continually see self-service and automation coming into our lives, which in some ways will you know, make it simpler and less drudgery, and I would much rather use the app than sit on a call center phone. And you know, it, when it's done poorly, you have to repeat your phone number 12 times and, and all those things, which is less than fun dealing with a human on it. And when it's done well, then you know, that person gave you a good experience and, and said a few nice things, and you had a three to five minute relationship with somebody, very similar to your Uber driver, right? You have a five minute relationship and sometimes it's fun and you learn something you didn't know and sometimes you just go, I need to work right now so um, I'm gonna stay in my phone or my laptop and and you get me from here to there. Yeah, and I just wonder if, if somebody listening to this is working in a call center and is thinking, you know, they're trying to do as good a job as possible and, and they're listening to this conversation and realizing that you know they're a kind of poor relation to the software that could be doing this instead of them, or is it more that it's just a choice that sometimes people are going to prefer one format to the other? Yeah, and I'm sitting in an office, um, going to meet with some of the people that I am the boss of, uh, and wondering, you know, how much do they need me, or how much can they do their jobs because they have the digital tools to interact with it and manage their task and manage their lives and what is my role in this of you know is it setting direction is it managing their day-to-day tasks is it you know thanking them for a good job and giving them some improvement suggestions so i think uh, a call center is one place but on the roboboss you know what do i do that really adds human value to the people that I supervise or am responsible for versus what does the system, quite frankly, do a better job of monitoring, helping them, uh, et cetera. Yeah, and, and, and when I've been talking to one or two people ahead of this podcast about the subject, you know, how do you feel about working for a robot? And people always kind of smile and think that sounds quite, quite amusing. But do, is it the case that we're actually all working for robots far more than we realize. I think there's two aspects of that. One, there's clearly a a type of job. If you're a delivery driver, I think you're working for a robot, right? It is monitoring your schedule, right right turns are more effective than left turns, you know, here's your customer satisfaction from 600 deliveries a month or or any of those things. So I think in, in certain tasks, there is a lot of that aspect of if you're essentially working for the system or a robo-boss. Um, I think in other tasks, we're working for ourselves. Um, I'm sure you do as well. I need to get up every day and decide what's most important for me in my job, right? And it's not my boss saying this is your top priority each day. It's working for yourself going, you know, I really want to get back to this aspect of uh, this client situation or I need to spend a little bit more time here. So I think in a lot of managerial positions or different positions like that, it is, you know, my boss doesn't tell me what to do every day. My boss checks in on me and gives me some advice and, you know, mentions some priorities that he's getting from his boss, etc. So I think there's different aspects of whether I'm working for a system that says turn right here or whether I'm actually working for a boss that says 
you know, doing a good job. Keep doing it. You know, I'll talk to you in another few weeks. I think that's that's kind of part of what this world that we're kind of coming into, isn't it? It's it's that sense that we we think of the the digital, the technological world as being quite neutral, rather than a world where we're going to have preferences and favorites and things that we enjoy and not enjoy. And I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking about is that this this world of AI, this world of intelligent software, this world of robotics is is actually going to have a lot more nuance and subtlety to it than I think we realize. And I think that's part of what's coming through from 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 some of the things that you're saying. And, you know, human beings are surprisingly kind of adaptable. And in the same way that, you know, you can design for, I mean, you mentioned the issue of aging parents and you'll have seen the, you know, little demonstrations of helpers, particularly in in places like Japan, where they're kind of caring for older people. And there'll be some kind of versions of the, the, the digital helper that people will like and some versions they, they won't like. So maybe this world has a lot more personality than we've we've realized. Uh, you know, I obviously talk about this subject a lot since I did it and, and posted on face on uh, LinkedIn that I was doing this. Um, as I've talked to people, um, the the question I like back the most is, would it be a good boss or a bad boss? Because you know, as you get through your career, you've had some of both, and you know, there's a lot of frustration dealing with a bad boss, and you'd like to just deal with the system, get your job done, get your tasks done, and, and not deal with a bad boss. And there's a lot of benefit for dealing with a positive boss that is helping you with your career and teaching you from their experiences. So um, I think we need to keep it in context of not all human bosses are equal, and probably not all robo-bosses will be equal. There'll be some that are better at uh, giving tasks, and there are some that will be better at giving advice uh, than others. So uh, we also need to think about it as good human bosses and bad human bosses and good robo-bosses and bad robo-bosses. Is your overall feeling when you're looking at this and this, this shift to... Um, software intelligence and and if you like the robotics managing is it is this a, is this a net benefit a net positive for human beings in work I think um, it will continue to drive better and better solutions right and we have a lot of choice now due to the internet and and the breadth of this global community right and I'll go back to Pokemon go Pokemon go was a good little game that lots of people chose because it worked well, it was easy, it was fun, it was new, and it got global distribution to millions of people very quickly. And I think the same thing is going to happen in a lot of our other choices. As we get into the gig economy, where I am feel like I am managed by a good boss and a good solution and, and does those things that I like, People will move towards that, and it will be much easier in this digital virtual world for people to move to systems that are comfortable and move away from systems that aren't comfortable. And for some people, that may be a highly interactive human environment with 
very little technology. And for other people, given the number of people that have moved to Uber and drive for Uber, clearly there's a sense that a number of people have said, this is a better way for me to manage my life, and I don't need a boss. I need personal selection, and I'm willing to do the trade-offs necessary to do that. So I do think Uber is an excellent example where people have chosen to go use the system without human bosses and use that as a way to you know, make money and get interactions like it. So there, there is the ability for people to move to dis- different systems, and uh, we'll see which ones they select. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things I, I, I often think is that, and I found myself saying it, it's, it's like the, the, the digital workplace, the digital world is getting ever smarter. But in a way, do you think that we're also going to be getting smarter? That, that our human intelligence is going to increase as the technology's intelligence increases? And by that, I kind of, from like an example for myself, um, I mean, there's only 80 people in my company, but what I notice is that I'll, I'll use data insight research almost to sound smarter you know because you can kind of drill into what somebody's actually saying um you know you're i'm able to be more familiar with things that people are working on um or the the backstory from one note of a previous conversation so if i if i if i have a conversation with somebody working on a particular client project and I can say, because, you know, when we looked at it last time, X, Y, Z happened. So is, is it also that our own intelligence is, is, is going to in, increase as well? I, I do think so. I mean, I think we're all smarter because of Internet search, right? We have the ability to, to look up things. There are many times I'm on a call and somebody will bring up a, a new product or a new acronym or, or any of those things that I'll very quickly type in my search window and get an answer. Oh, I, I know something about that. It's not how I'd heard it called before or uh, things related to that. So I think we are getting into a uh, situation where our systems are good enough to give us a lot of instant information to make us smarter, give us the ability to really look at it. And you know, one of the ways that I explain that to a lot of our clients is I think artificial intelligence can assist, augment, and replace tasks. And we just need to figure out the right ways to apply that so that we're actually getting the most benefit out of it and we're still getting the most benefit out of the human in the equation. Could you just give me an example of, of what you mean by that? Yeah, so a, a very simple example that most people understand is, you know, we've had maps to help us drive for a number of years. You know, when I grew up, you got a triptych from AAA that said, you want to go out west, here's the route to go, and here's some restaurants on the way. Um, you know, smart AI, we probably didn't think of it as AI, really came in with GPS, right, that says, okay, turn left here, turn right. And you could get the same thing talking to your spouse and going, well, we want the blue road, not the red road, and is it a right or not? So it's definitely helped um, 
personal relationships as well as your ability to navigate. And I think that's assistance. I could pull out a map and do exactly what a GPS could do, but it's assisting me doing it faster, easier, better. Um, I think you then you get into augmentation, and the example I use is Waze. Waze is a great GPS tool, but it knows the current traffic situation due to the, the breadth of the network all around me. So if there's a traffic accident a mile up the road, it will reroute me around that. And that's information I would never know except for this artificial intelligence, large data gathering system that goes, I know what traffic is doing all around you, and I know getting you out of the way is actually better for the whole system. So it's augmenting it. And I can see a lot of things. I think drones are another good example of that, of you know, putting a camera under a bridge to be able to do an inspection or flying down the track. You know, those are seeing things that I may not be able to see, infrared analysis, et cetera. So that augmentation of a task comes in as well. And then there's just replacement of the task. And you know, I think the Uber um, driverless car example of I actually don't need a driver to either read the map, do the GPS, or do the ways. I am getting the AI engine smart enough so that they can actually drive the car, determine when to brake, determine um, you know, which route to go, be able to understand that you know a deer is crossing the road or any of those other things. And it will learn over time. So I think that's the way we need to look at each task as we're applying this to businesses. Which ways can I assist the task, make it just easier to do, like a personal assistant that can look up something for you that you could look up yourself? How can we augment it? Give me information of you that I don't have naturally. And how can I just replace it and go, you know what, a, a computer can enter an expense report just as easily as I can, you know, all of the information is in a system somewhere, let it, let it do that and, and maybe give me a review process of it. But one other thing, and just to kind of get into this, this other question, which is the thing that always comes up, which is that if, if I'm talking to anybody about the, the impact of technology on, on work, um, the question is, what's going to be left for us? What's going to be left for the human beings? And um, is that uh, or, or is that actually the wrong kind of question? Because there's been uh, quite a bit of data coming out this week in the UK around the levels of stress that people experience in work. And, you know, there's there's a, a bit of a kind of building debate around the working week and how long should you work for? And, it, and, and is it that we're designed to work in perpetuity or actually is this, a, is this going to open up an opportunity for, for us to work less? And, and is, that, is that a good thing or we are going to get so bored? What are we going to do? Um, so I'm just wondering um, what your thoughts are around that. So the things that we're good at in terms of our creativity, communicating with other people, those will still be valuable skills for the next five, ten long years into the future. The things that um, computers are getting better at in terms of understanding patterns and being able to uh, really automate a lot of functions will continue to grow. So one of the uh, examples in a study looking at different skill sets you know, the ability for a computer to do accounting, order entry, a lot of those functions is, is pretty much already there. And we'll see that job change and, and not be done 
as much by humans. But as you look into things like uh, MAID, understanding a room, being able to pick up and fold the towel, being able to reset things, those uh, dexterity, communication, other tasks will be continue to be valuable and continue to be useful. One of the um, tasks and, and roles that's the most interesting is a physical therapist. A physical therapist is not only you know massaging your knee or ankle or whatever is ailing you, but is also understanding your physique, understanding your mental condition, understanding what the perception of pain might be, whether you're saying it's pain or whether you're uh, flinching. So there's a lot in that that is a direct human-to-human communication and is a is a result of understanding how we interact with each other that will be very hard for artificial intelligence to do. So I think the more that we tend towards creative tasks of you know creating music and art and um, film, et cetera, and the more that we deal with interacting with people, what are they feeling, how to interact with them, what is their body saying, as well as their their voice and mind saying. Those are areas where human creativity will still be an important aspect of uh, the world we live in. One of the questions that, um, I mean, I can't believe that we've we've already come up to um, around about an hour and a little bit more. I just want to, and I know that um, we're going to be running out of of time, but um, I feel that we could kind of carry on on this subject for for quite a while more. But uh, one of the questions that I like to close the the podcast with and ask the guests is, uh, you know, when you're, I asked you what you thought work was going to be like when you, when you started, just thinking about your work now, Dan, I mean, what what makes for a perfect work day for you? So in terms of a good day, there's a, a few different aspects of it. One, I enjoy learning something new. So whether it's somebody uh, tweeting a new uh, idea that I can watch a video and see something interesting on, whether it's a colleague of mine bringing up a new way to solve a problem, all of those new ideas and appreciating the innovation that we continue to see is really inspiring for me in my days. Um, you know what what new and interesting is going to come up, and the other area is being able to communicate with people. So being able to talk to people and share ideas and collaborate is very important. In the Uber situation, I didn't have a boss to communicate with, but I greatly enjoyed interacting with the passengers. What were they up to? What was what were they doing in their day? What questions did they have? So that collaboration, I think, is very important for a fulfilling day. And then finally, praise. We all like to get praise. And in some of our current situations, we have an annual review that said you do this for the year and, and good job or okay job. In Uber and in gaming, it's a very real-time response. I'm getting a five-star for this ride, or I just got these new things in Pokemon Go. So that gamification, we're putting in more human situations so that we get that the instant reward or issue to solve so that we are very much on top of it. And I think those three things are key to my day and I think are very key to this topic of with humans, we need to be involved in innovation and that's where we're going to add more value than something that's done repetitively. We need to be able to uh, interact with others and we'll see more and more of that. And we also need to figure out how to reward humans in the equation as well as machines meeting their goals. All of those will add up to good days for us in the future. 
Yeah, and it, and and it, it it is interesting, isn't it? Because the it we are susceptible to praise from wherever it comes. So I would imagine um, when your app and your when you're running tells you you've for for that day run your fastest time or completed X and says well done Dan, it it it, it you feel it. You know, there's a little kind of injection of 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 good well-being that that we kind of experience and it can come it's 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 kind of fascinating that it can come from you know the software is as much from the um, from the human being but um dan i've really enjoyed our conversation so much and i and i really wanted to say also that i really admire the fact that you know somebody in your position of a lot of responsibility at, at avenard has has kind of gone out there into the field and looks at something like Uber and says, look, I, I don't want to just spend my time talking about the gig economy and talking about the uh, Uberization of work. I'm going to experience it and, and do that. And I think it's a real, um, you know, testament to your uh, ability to kind of get right in there and, and understand these uh, what these things mean. And um, it's something that I really admire and um, I'm going to uh, try and learn from myself. So Dan, just to say thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today and it's been uh, great to have you on and um, thank you for for sharing your thoughts. Thank you, Paul. I enjoyed being here and it's a great topic to discuss. I'm sure uh, worthy of many discussions in the future. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions globally to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you want to listen to previous episodes of Digital Workplace Impact, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.